I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles to um, the book of Ecclesiastes. We started a little study together sometime in January. We've been looking at how to solve problems. In my mind, the title, How to Solve Problems, is not exactly as precise or as accurate as we might like it to be. We're really uh, studying on how to live life successfully. Of course, we found out in the beginning of our studies that life is full of problems. Man that is born of a woman is of a few days and full of troubles. Well, that's what life is. And we may navigate through those troubles like so many waves in the sea, and we may arrive successfully into a pleasant harbor. There's no doubt in my mind. However, in order to do that, there are certain rules, there are certain laws, there are certain things that we can do. And the Lord, in all His goodness, has been willing to tell us what to do. Life, in essence, is not complicated. It's not complex. It's not even meant to be perplexing. Um, I was reading a story, I mean, out of the Bible this morning. I was reading about David and Solomon. David is dying. Solomon's about to take over. Solomon's just a young man. He's 17 or 18. I don't know exactly how old he is. David has been gathering and gathering stuff to build a temple, you understand. And it's, it's not only does he have all the stuff he needs to build a temple and all the money and all the gold and all the silver and all the material, he has all the blueprints. Now, that's something else. And the Lord gave him the blueprints. And so he comes to this young fellow, 17, 18, 19, I don't know how old Solomon is, and he hands him this bunch of blueprints. And Solomon goes like, ugh. You know, God has chosen David to draw the material and God has chosen Solomon to build the temple. He gets the blueprint and he looks at it and he says, I can't handle this. I mean, I can't do this. And not only that, he knows he's to be the king and he knows he's to govern this great people of the Lord. And in his heart, he sinks because he knows that he can't do it. And his father says, be of good courage. Don't be afraid. God will not fail you. God will not forsake you. You can do this. Do you know that you can do this? That is, that you can live life and that you can live it successfully? Oh, yes. Every single individual in the world can do this. And just like David says Solomon to Solomon, he says, all you've got to do is keep the commandments of the Lord. Very simple. You know, honor the Lord with your life. Do not dishonor Him under any case. And... God will be a blessing to you. Well, anyway, we're studying about how to live life successfully. We saw that, that life is a school. As a matter of fact, it says that in the book of education, page 100, paragraph 1. Four words. Life is a school. Period. You like that, young people? <laughs> how would you like to go to school forever? <laughs> Well, let me tell you something. Life that is a school is not like public school that is a school or even homeschool. <laughs> no, it's nothing like that. But it is nevertheless a school. As long as we are going to be alive, we are going to be asked of God to learn. And we will learn. It's going to be like this in this life. It's going to be like that in the life to come. We were created apparently with a potential that is infinite. We will continue to grow and grow and grow in knowledge and understanding and capacity and capabilities. It's going to be amazing to see who we are a million years from now, each one individually. And we won't be finished. And there'll be more and more and more to learn. And we're going to enjoy it. In those days. But the most beautiful part of the whole program is just this. 
God does not leave the education of our individual selves to other people. God has decided that He would be the teacher and that He would teach you and me individually. Now, does that blow your mind? It blows my mind. I can't imagine. You know, with all the people He must have in the universe, with all the people that has been just in this little world here, He has decided that if you are willing, He would be your teacher and He would teach you individually. Isn't that amazing? Yes, he said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you shall go. I will not take my eyes off of you. Amazing concept. That there's a God in heaven that looks down and he never loses sight of me. Never loses sight of me. I may go this way or that way in a decision in my own heart. I may choose this or my... He never loses sight of me. And at any given moment, he is there. If I will accept the guidance, he's there to guide me. He said through the, that He would send us the Holy Spirit. And He said the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, He will teach you what? All things. Do you know that God intends to teach you all things? He didn't say how long it would take. You know. Now, we know that it didn't take very long with Solomon to teach him a lot. Do you think He taught him all things? Well, I know. Not just then. He knew a whole sight more than I know. There's no doubt about it. But I tell you what. God has promised to teach us everything and He's got eternity to do it. And He's going to do it. And He's already started. He started teaching us stuff. Even right now. I will lead you in the path of life, He says. In His presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. Does God mean it? Yes. Will He do it? Well, friends, He's already doing it. There's no doubt about it. And so in our last study, we saw... That God has three books, uh, three lesson books for us. We saw that there is the Bible in which he gives us the theory. And there's nature, the observatory. And we saw that amply this morning in the Sabbath school lesson. And then, of course, is life's experiences in which we are able to bring the theory and all that we observe in nature into the experiment of life. And in my estimation, I think that's the most important book of all. As important as the Bible is, as important as this world is that we live in, it's of no use, of no value if we don't bring it into the laboratory of experience. If we don't bring it into our lives, it's not that important. As a teacher in Ministry of Healing 417, and friends, I've harped on this forever. And I'm continually harping on this. In almost every sermon I bring this out, in Ministry of Healing, page 417, it says, He orders that which His providence seems best. What is God doing? Why, He's giving us an education. He knows who we are. He knows what our future is. He knows what we need to learn. And He is ordering circumstances just right so that we can arrive at the point where He had planned for us. He is the orderer of all our experiences. How many times do I preach that? What about last Wednesday? What about the Wednesday before? What about last Sabbath? Friends, it comes out all the time. I don't know why, except that in my mind it has made such an impression that God is there. He orders every single experience that I am to have. And so that everything that comes my way is the very best thing that can come my way because my God is the teacher. Well now, 
if God is infallible like we believe that He is, if He knows what is best for me like we believe that He does, and if He orders just that what I need all the time, then what should we do about it? I mean, what's our response to this if we have any response of faith to give it? What do you think it is? Well, we started to learn it last time we were together. We're talking about the A, B, and C of problem solving now. And the A of problem solving is just this, and we saw it last time, A, accept the assignment. God gives us the assignments that we are to have in life. We're not to uh, avoid these assignments. We're not to evade them at all. We're not to play truant. What happens to a young kid who doesn't go to school when he's supposed to go to school? If the teacher is teaching math that day, what will happen to the, the, the child who misses the, the class? Well, he's not going to learn what the teacher taught that day, right? I think there's a lot of people in this world that don't go to school when they ought to be going to school. Or they choose another course of study other than the course of study that the Lord has chosen for them. Friends, it's not for us to go through the book of life's experiences and to try to choose for ourselves the experiences we prefer to have. Why? I'll tell you what. If I had the choice, ah, I wouldn't be quite as poor as I am, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I'd be sight better looking too. And I'd be a lot smarter. And I'd be strong. I'd be big. I've always wanted to be big. <laughs> Haven't you? Yeah. yeah. But God didn't choose all of that for me. He chose what He chose. What I have is what He's chosen for me. It's the best thing. And it's not for me to go to life's book the book of life's experience to choose for myself the thing that I would have. Because, friends, I would have chosen an easy path, wouldn't you? Oh, a comfortable path. I love comfort. Yeah. To Noah, God said, I want you to build an ark. And I want you to build it up on dry ground also. Now, if you had been Noah in that day, what would you have said? Wait a minute, wait a minute. What are you asking me to build a boat up on a hill for? It doesn't make any sense. Besides, I'm going to be the laughing stock of the whole world. Is that what you, what you would have chosen? Lord, I want to build a boat where there's no water. <laughs> I know, we're smarter than that, aren't we? If God was only smarter than that, it would be great. To Moses, God comes along and he says, you're going to be the deliverer of Israel. Go out and do it. And Moses says, but, 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 don't you, don't you realize I'm 80 years old? It's not, I don't have time now to, I mean, warfare, that stuff is for young people. That's not for me, right? Jonah, God comes to Jonah and he says, hey, Jonah, I'm going to make you the best evangelist that the world has ever seen, that the world will ever see. As a matter of fact, when you're done doing an evangelistic series of three days, 120,000 people will be brought to repentance. And what did Jonah say? Of course, Jonah didn't know all that. God didn't tell him all of that, right? Just God, God just told him to go to Nineveh and preach. But hey, if God asks you to do something, is He asking you to fail? Does He intend to confound you? Does He intend to, to put you to shame? Why, no. What God asks of you, God will give you to do. And He will give you to do it successfully. But Jonah didn't do it. I mean, he didn't want to do it anyway. And so he took a boat on the way to Tarshish. To Esther, God came and said, Hey, Esther, I want you to put your life on the line for your people. Did she have a choice? Oh, yeah. She didn't have to open her mouth. She didn't have to go into the king. She didn't have to risk anything. She could have stayed quiet. 
But Mordecai told her, if you don't do it, you're going to lose your life. <laughs> anyway, it's amazing. And to Jesus, ah, to Jesus. God came along and He gave him a cup. And the cup was full. Full. He gave him a cup of such bitterness that no man in the whole world has ever had to drink from that cup. Are these assignments these men would have chosen for themselves? No. Not one of them. Not even Jesus. At the point, at least in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said to his father, Father, if there's any other way, I would choose any other way. But there was no other way. Does God ever ask you to do what you don't want to do? Has God ever asked you to do what you don't want to do? Has that ever happened? Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. In Ministry of Healing 472, paragraph 4. Watch this now. Let us remember that while the work we, may ha we have to do may not be our choice, it is to be accepted as God's choice for us. Did you hear that? God may give you a work to do and you may say, well, that's not the work I want to do. I want to do, I want to do this over here, right? God says, no, 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 no. I'm the teacher. You're the student. I'm going to organize your life and I'm going to ask you to do sometimes, I'm going to ask you to do something that you don't want to do. You know, I don't know where you belong. I don't know if you are in the place where God wants you, but I know how to get you there. Do you know how to get there? Would you like to be there? All that you got to do is do the thing that lies nearest at hand and do it with all your heart. That's all. Very, very simple. And I will guarantee you, if you have that kind of spirit, now, hey, you may not be where God wants you to be right now. And that's okay. As a matter of fact, you may not be... Never mind, I was just going to repeat the same thing I just said. Yeah, you may not be where God, even, even God wants you to be. You may not be where you want to be, and you may not be where God wants you to be. That's what I wanted to say. That's true, that's possible. Sometimes that happens. But friends, this is where you are. And if this is where you are, how are you going to know to find your way to the place where God wants you to be? And it's very, very, very simple. Accept the fact that you are right here. Accept the fact that this is the work that's before you and do that with all of your heart. And the Bible says that if we are faithful in that which is least, we will be what? Faithful in something else. Faithful in everything else, as a matter of fact. And in doing, being faithful in the little things, God will say, aha, okay, now I can begin to move you. Friends, it's just that simple. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We're going to begin with verse 7. Uh, at first, I think you won't recognize the verse to have anything much to do with what we're saying. But listen carefully. By the way, excuse me, he says, go thy way. <laughs> go thy way. Eat thy bread with joy and drink thy wine with a merry heart. For God now accepts your works. Does it have anything to do with what I'm talking about? You know, I see something in this verse, and I don't know if everybody else sees it, but I see that we may not be where we, God wants us to be. We may not be where we even ourselves want to be. But God says, I know who you are. I know where you are. I never lose sight of you. You may not be where I want you to be, but I'll tell you what. I accept your works. 
Jesus Christ went to the cross with all of your sins. He paid the price. You are beloved in my sight. Do the works that lie before you. I will accept that. In Ministry of Healing 481, paragraph 3. I think we read that in our last lesson. It said, the faithful discharge of today's duties is the best preparation for tomorrow's trials. That's it. That's it. God is preparing you for tomorrow. And you can't know what tomorrow will bring, can you? No, you can't. But God knows, and He knows what it is that you need to be prepared for tomorrow. And watch carefully today. Watch carefully what it is that God is asking you to do today, because this thing is in preparation for what He wants you to do tomorrow. And, and be careful. Don't think that because you're at the end of a shovel at the, or at the end of a, of a broom, that this is an indication that you're going to be uh, a butler, <laughs> you know, or that you're going to be a maid all the rest of your life. This is not how it works. The thing that God is asking us to do is to be faithful in that which is little. And this is a spiritual preparation. To get our hearts in harmony with what God wants us to do demands sometimes that we do little things. We're going to read that in just a second. We're in verse 8. Let our garments be always white. This is spiritually speaking, I believe. Be pure. Be pure. And let your head lack no ointment. Good looking. <laughs> uh, put brill cream in your hair, I think is what it's saying. Live joyfully for the, with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity. Notice here it says that life is vanity. Life is empty. Life is foolish. It's, it, a lot of it is nonsense. You know that's true. How often I get to my thinking and I get, you know, this doesn't make sense. Every day I've got to do the dishes. Every day I've got to do the dishes. You know, if I just didn't eat, I wouldn't have to do the dishes. <laughs> you know, maybe I should eat at the village every day. That would solve a few things too, I think. But you know, life is just around and around and around of the things that we do every day, every day. And somehow it doesn't make sense. That life should have more meaning than that, that you'd think, right? And the Lord pictures it, and you just read the book of Ecclesiastes, and you know that it's nothing but vanity, the whole thing. The reason is that way is because of sin. Sin has brought us down to this place. The Lord is saving us out of sin, but we're in the middle of it. And so he says, even though it's like that, here's how I want you to think. Okay? Here's what I want you to do. Live joyfully with the wife of your youth which he has given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity. For that is thy portion in this life and in, and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. And then watch verse 10. Of course, you know this verse by heart. Whatsoever your hand finds to do. What? Do it with all your heart. Do it with all your heart. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. None. There's no learning in death. Spirit of Prophecy says, life is a school. And if we learn by doing in this life, then whatever God has set before you to do, do it how? Do it with all your heart. Do it with all your heart. It may not seem important to you, that work, but I'll tell you what, it means everything. It means everything to your salvation and to the success that God wants to give you. Volume 6, 432, paragraph 3. 
Do not pass by the little things and look for a large work. You might do successfully a small work, but fail utterly at attempting a larger work and fall into discouragement. Take hold of whatever you see, that wherever you see that there is work to be done. It will be by doing with your might what your hand finds to do that you will develop talents and aptitude for a larger work. And so God is preparing us. I hope the young people are listening. Are you listening, Enoch? Good. <laughs> Ministry of Healing 474, uh, 473, paragraph 3. Often these duties afford the very training essential to prepare us for a higher work. Well, that's it. And that's the whole point. That's what we want to see. There's no work that's not essential in this world. In this world, There's no work that's too little. Because the little work prepares us for the greater work. And we cannot be given the greater work if we've never been faithful in the little work. Be faithful, because if you're not, you cannot be given more responsibility until you are. But now, you know, God's school is not like public school. As a matter of fact, like I've just finished saying, it's not like any other type of school. It's a distinct and different school. In public school, you might gather 30 children in one room, give them all textbooks, all the same textbook. You get them all to turn at the same page in the textbook. And they're all then studying the same lesson. Is God like that? Why no? How many people in this world did God ask to build an ark? Well, only one. Isn't that amazing? Did God ask anybody but Abraham to sacrifice his own son? No. Isn't that amazing? No. And do you know that God will ask you to do some things that he's never asked Noah to do or Abraham to do or Moses to do or Daniel or anyone else? Because you are unique. And because you are unique, of course, you're going to have experiences in life unique to you only because, of course, you are special to God. So like Jesus, we are to see God behind the mob. We are to see God beyond the movings of men and devils and say, the cup that he has put in my hand, shall I not drink it? And so that's A of problem solving. Accept the assignment. Accept the assignment. And when you know what the assignment is, then do it with all of your heart. All right? Now we go to the B of problem solving. What do you suppose the B of problem solving is? Believe. Hey, what else can it be? Right? Sure, that's what it is. Believe. Just like righteousness is by faith, and there is no righteousness that does not come from God, so problem solving is by faith, and there's no solution to any problem but the solution that comes from God. And I wish, friends, that we would learn that. We may have problems. We will have problems. We do have problems. We all have problems. Problems is not the problem. <laughs> no, it isn't the problem. It's how you relate to the problem that's the problem. It's how sometimes we take things into our own hands and think, well, you know, I've been through something like this, fairly, fairly similar to this sometime past. And I, you know, this is what I did to get out of it. Therefore, you go back to your little bag of tricks, your little bag of experience, and you say, here's the tool that I used last time. But I'll tell you what, the devil's a pile smarter than you are. Oh, he is. And he is able to bring in with the problem a little twist in it that you won't be able to figure out. And do you know that Moses never wasted his time with that sort of thinking? 
Now, if there was any man in the world that had experience and that had a successful life, it was Moses. And he lived to be near, well, he lived to be 120 years old. Do you suppose that the year 119 and the devil brought him a problem that, well, hey, I've had enough experience with everything that I know how to handle this? Is that how Moses did it? Read the Bible and you will see that every time Moses had a problem, he went straight to the sanctuary, threw himself on his face, and he would not get off his face until the Lord gave him a solution to the problem. This is how God would have us deal with the problems that we face. This is what he wants. And the reason he did that is because he knew. He knew. And he learned long before. And friends, there are two things that we need to believe. I don't know if I missed I think I missed that in my, my sermon. I, I'm going over it now. There are two things we need to believe. We need to believe, first of all, John 15, 5. Do you know that by heart? Without me, you can do what? Nothing. Do you believe it? No, you don't believe it. There isn't a soul in this place that believes it. We don't believe that. Otherwise, we wouldn't attempt anything. You know? Otherwise, we would never attempt to solve our problems without God. But we're always attempting to solve our problems without God. We need to believe this. This is what we need to believe. And this is what Moses came to the place where he knew that he could not solve the problems that were handed him except with God's help. So he didn't waste his time experimenting, you know, opening the hood of his car and looking at all the wires and saying, I wonder if it's this one, I wonder if it's that one, not knowing anything about it. Yeah, well, that's what we do, though, of course. Moses did not accept his own righteousness for salvation, neither did he accept his own solutions to life's problems. And Moses lived a very successful life. So may we, so may we. Now let me tell you something. If the problems you face can be solved without God, then let me tell you, you may question as to whether the assignment is really from God at all. Because God is not in the business of making us look good. God is not in the business of making us look smart or making us look strong. He's in the business of saving us. And do you know looking smart, looking strong, looking good is usually counterproductive to salvation? And so if you go through life and you don't end up looking good like all the heroes in this world, praise the Lord, God is in your life. Oh yeah, He's in there to save you. He's not in there to make you look good. He's not in there to make me look good. He's in there to save our souls. In Desire of Ages, page 300, it says, the Lord can do nothing. Can you imagine that there's a situation in which God can do nothing? The Lord can do nothing towards the recovery of man. Or I might add, his education. Until until the man is convinced of his weakness and stripped of all self-sufficiency, Then he yields himself to the control of God. When God can get us to the place where we are humble, where we are teachable, where we are receptive to what God wants to give us, then he can do something. And the quotation goes on to tell us what he can do. It says, then we can receive the gift that God is waiting to bestow. From the soul that feels his need, nothing is withheld. How much? Nothing. Nothing. You and I can have everything we need if we will feel our need. My God shall supply all your need. Now, on the other hand, of course, if the problem you face is a colossal problem, 
It's a big elephant of a problem. And you cannot possibly come to understand how you're going to solve this problem. Well, do not discount this thing as coming from the devil. <laughs> no, no. God is the teacher and He's sending us problems that we cannot solve on purpose. This is coming from God. And so, friends, first we accept the assignment and then we believe that without Jesus we cannot solve the problem. We cannot meet life's assignments. Well, I said earlier that there's two things we need to believe. And so if in the first hand we believe that we cannot solve them, then there's a balance to that and you know it very well. What's the verse in the, ba- in the Bible that's a balance to John 15:5? That's it. It's Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. When David saw the whole army cowering before one man, Goliath, what did he say? He said, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight this uncircumcised Philistines. Ah, what a man of faith, right? Do you think that he believed that he could do it without God? Oh, no, no. An angel had appeared to him and I told him to go and do it. And the Lord had used him before to kill a bear and to kill a lion, right? And so David had experience with God and what God could do for and through him. So he was not afraid of meeting giant bear or, you know how afraid we are of that um, cougar, that mountain lion that resides up here? Matter of fact, I'm kind of sensing that some of us are afraid of a little bear I hear is, is traipsing around here. Why do we need to be afraid of anything? I mean, does it make any sense? doesn't make any sense. We have to fear nothing because God is for us. Yeah. Yeah. And so, David said, I believe the Lord. Now, he didn't say that he could go out there without God. But his humility didn't lead him to say also, Oh, I could never do that. Don't you know that I'm just a little kid? Don't you know that I'm just a little herd boy? Don't you know that this... The state wouldn't allow that or the church wouldn't allow that? You know, I hear that kind of talk sometimes. We can't do this. The state won't allow. We can't do that. The church won't allow. Do you know that the state and the church were represented there in Israel? The Israelites were there representing the church and uh, Saul was there representing the state and both of them tried to dissuade David from going to meet Goliath. Do you know that you'll be told not to do something sometimes? Because some people won't allow, or it's too dangerous, or it's more than you can handle. If God has told you to do it, then what? Yeah. Is it faith to think that we can't without Christ? Yes. But is it faith to think that we can't? No. No. Because God will ask us to do marvelous things. I want to see... I want to... um, bring you to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We've read this verse often. It's a wonderful promise, but the promise is never empty. No matter how often we read it, it still means and it's still full and it still offers all that it says and it offers a whole pile more than you can encompass. I'll guarantee you that. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at verse 8. It's awesome promise. One of my favorites. And I have to look at it often. God is able to make all grace. How much grace? How much grace is that? How much power is there in all grace? God is able to make all grace abound toward you. 
that you always, how often is that? Every time. Yeah. That you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Now, can you get a promise that encompasses more than that anywhere in the Bible? And look at verse 11. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes us, through us, thanksgiving to God. Verse 15. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. When God offered His Son, with His Son, He has freely given us all things. There is nothing missing. There is nothing we can't do. Friends, what are you going to do with this much bountifulness? How are you going to spend this much money? What are you going to do with this kind of energy? Do you know you have it? Well, the truth of the matter is, of course, you and I don't have it. Christ has it. But in Christ, we have it when we're on the job with Christ. Turn with me now to uh, Genesis 41. In Genesis 41, we find Joseph standing before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, listen, I've had a dream. I'm impressed with its importance, but I don't know how to interpret the thing. My wise men can't interpret the thing either. They're baffled. But I've heard that you have the ability to interpret dreams. So what did Joseph say? Hey, he said, piece of cake. I can do this any time of the day, any time of the week. You just come to me and I'll, I'll just serve out interpretations all you want. Right? Is that what he said? Oh, no. 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 Did he say, I can't do that? No, he didn't say that either. And we have in verse 16 of Genesis 41, the very... Uh, two principles we're talking about, both in one verse. Look at verse 16. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. Did he stop there? Oh, no. Then he said, God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Through whom was God planning to give Pharaoh an answer of peace? Was Joseph willing? Yeah, he was willing. Now, are you willing to be used of God? Are you? And so when God comes over to you and says, here's what I want you to do, are you willing to do it? Oh, what if it's bigger than you are? At least than you think you are. What if it's something that's much more than you are? A few years ago, not very many, I was in a field in Africa. I was praying. Uh, I was spending time alone with the Lord in nature and I had a book and I was reading. And the Lord impressed my heart very clearly. He says, I want you to start writing. I want you to, to learn how to write. Now, I don't know if you know anything about writing, but it's not easy. Uh, it's not easy. So I said, well, okay, fine. I'll do all that I can to learn how to write. And I made a promise to the Lord while I was out there in the field. I said, Lord, I will, I'm not interested in writing anything for myself. I don't want to write a book to make money. I don't want to write articles to be noticed of men. I am just going to write for you. That's it. That's all. And I do not intend to write anything to bring glory to myself. So when you need something, let me know. Well, in the meantime, since that time, I have probably read something like 20 books on how to write. And so, actually, I know a little bit more on how to write than I knew in that day. And I praise the Lord for it. He pushed me in that direction. Now, like I was saying earlier, He does that because of something in the future, right? 
He knew what the future would bring. He knew why I would need that in the future. And so he pushed me in that direction. Really, I didn't have any that much interest, but I, I, I listened to the voice of God. Since that time, I've had the opportunity and the privilege of writing probably a dozen scripts for a television program on 3ABN. And I've written several articles for several magazines. And it's a blessing to me, but it's hard work. There's a lot of people who come to me and say, you need to write a book on the, prod- on the prodigal son. Well, I do. I suppose I do, but I don't. And I won't either. <laughs> you know why? Because writing is really hard and I'm really lazy. And I'm not going to write no book and I'm not going to write any article until the Lord comes to me or circumstances put me in a corner and says, this is what I want you to do. And then I'll do it because I want to serve the Lord. Yeah. But the temptation comes to me almost every time that I'm put in that corner. The temptation always comes to me that says, wow, well, your writing isn't good enough. By the way, it's not Shakespearean style. It's not Mark Twain either. It's neither. It's none. <laughs> I really am not that good a writer. There's no doubt in my mind about it. And so when I am put in a corner and I have to write, my first temptation is, hey, you're not that good. There are people out there that are so much better than you are. Why do you even think of doing something like that? Because, friends, with his son, he has freely given us what? All things. And he says, with the Holy Spirit, I will teach you what? All things. And God puts his finger on your heart and says, I want you to do something. Then, don't argue. Just go forward and do it. How do you know what God has on his mind? Well, you can't know. How do you know who God will use to do a specific work? Why, you can't know. How do you know how he intends to accomplish his designs? Friends, we cannot know. But we can know this. That as he sends assignments our way, we are to do two things so far in our little lesson. First, accept the assignment. Second, believe that you can't without him and believe that with him you can do what? All things. Go forward and you will live life successfully. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.